Man, this has already been just so good. Um, you'll notice there's a theme that we've been uh, through both the, for the songs and this is that the sacrifice that's been paid for our sins and that we needed a sacrifice. We needed something to pay for our sins. And uh, that's what we're gonna, we'll be talking about that tonight. It's central in the text that we're, that we are, uh, that we're going through tonight we get to see this, like this exchange, this, the, the great exchange where our sin has been taken and we've been given the righteousness of Jesus. We get to talk through that and he's gonna use the language of being ransomed, being purchased by the blood of Jesus. Um, so it's, I mean, it's super exciting. And we're gonna go through First uh, Peter chapter one. We're gonna go from uh, verse 13 all the way through the end of the chapter. And uh, what I wanna do is I'm gonna read the text first and then, and then we're gonna just break it down into like four little sections and just try to work through that. And I, I think that we're, what we're gonna see here is there's the, the theme verse of First Peter, I think is in here. I think that 1.13, this is the theme verse that we need to set our hope on the grace that is gonna be given to us. And I, because remember when we were, when we're talking about First Peter, that these are people who are living in exile. He calls them the elect exiles, that these people are Christians, and it's not that they're in a physical exile. It's not like they're in a land that's not their own. They've been, they haven't been taken captive to a different land, but we're in, that he's saying that all believers are in exile because we are living in a land that is not our own, that we're here on earth, in a body during this time period, and this is temporary, all of this is temporary, and we need to look forward to being with God in eternity. Then we need to look forward to what it means to be a citizen of heaven even while we live in this earth. So that's the, the overall theme is how do we live out in exile? So let me read, let me read this passage. And this is God's word from 1 Peter, starting uh, chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him his father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And this is, this is such a powerful text. It's so powerful and it's so rich. It's just 
packed theologically with all these different ideas that he's drawing from both the Old Testament and the, what, what it's like to live where we are now, and, and it's really confronting the realities of where we are, right? I mean, you don't have to look around too far to realize that this is a broken world. And not only is it a broken world, but we're living in a broken flesh. Even as believers, um, Blair and I were talking this morning about in, Ro- in Romans chapter seven. If you're familiar with Romans seven, that's where Paul is just going back and forth like, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Man, I feel like I'm trying to do good, but it's so hard, like there's this war going on inside me. Yes. And then it's crazy because he gets to the end and he says something that seems so desperate. He says, who can save me from this body of death? And I mean, I feel like we feel that all the time. If you are thinking, man, it's difficult, it is really hard to be a believer, it's really hard to be consistent, it's really hard to pursue the Lord, it's really hard to, to look at things that are eternal and not things that are temporal, welcome to this world. Because that's what the Apostle Paul, who wrote like a third of the New Testament, he said, and then he didn't leave it at that, which is awesome, he says, man, thanks be to God, right? That's it. We praise God because he's the one who can deliver us from this. And what's amazing is that he doesn't deliver us as soon as we become believers. It's not like you become a Christian and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in glory. That would be real easy. It would be awesome. But we've been left, just like what, uh, what Sean was talking about, right? That we, he's called us from out of darkness into this marvelous light so that we can bring others into that. We're supposed to be the ones shining that light because we've been called into it. And so when we see in 1 Peter, man, 1 Peter is written to a people that are living in a situation just like we are. And we talked about that we're in this exile, that both this exile, meaning this time period and in this world and in our physical body, and that we're gonna fight against all of that. We're gonna have those warrings going on inside us. And what's so important is in the middle of that that we do this that we set our hope, we put our hope in the grace of God because it is sure it is going to happen. And when we talk about hope, like this is where we need to be careful because in our uh, everyday we use the word hope in a way that's not like the biblical way of using it. It's like, man, wonder if this is gonna happen. Man, I sure hope so, right? We don't, when we, most of the time when we say I hope so, it's not like a confident expectation in something, right? It's like, Well, I hope, well, I tried to do this. I don't know if it's gonna work. Sure, hope this works. That's how I felt this week. Um, My dad and I spent time replacing the water pump on my vehicle, and it was scary because we're the one who diagnosed the problem. (laughs) And so, (laughs) I was like, where does it look like it's leaking for you? It looks like, is that the water pump? I don't know, let me look online. YouTube it. pouring out there, so we spent an afternoon taking it apart, putting it back together with a new water pump, and I did not have confidence in our mechanic ability whatsoever. And so I cranked it and we're like, sure hope this works. And if I were confident, I wouldn't have been laying on the ground looking to see if anything was leaking, which is what I was doing. That is how we use hope most of the time. I sure hope this works. But when we look biblically, he's not talking about, man, I, I hope, I wanna, man, I just, I hope in the grace of God. No, it's a confident 
expectation on the faithfulness of God. And that is what we've been called to, and that puts everything in the proper perspective. And it's crazy because he just, all of the rest of time, and again, remember, this was written like 2,000 years ago. And so from, from where we are now till glory is lumped up in this, right? But then from where he was 2,000 years ago to glory. I mean, we look, we're looking for this grace and we have confidence in this grace. We can trust in God and put our faith, our hope, our confidence, our identity in what he has done for us because we know he's, he's done this and he's going to keep his word. Because of that, we can trust him. And it is the only sure foundation for us to have any hope whatsoever. And I think for us, man, we need to think through, what is it that you are putting your hope in? If you are putting your hope, because he, you'll see as we go through this, he's comparing physical things with spiritual things, uh, uh, perishable with imperishable. And if you are putting your hope in something perishable, if you're putting your hope in something that's going to die, then your hope will die with it. You see what I'm saying? And so we've been called to something greater than that. We've been called to put, we've been called to be like Jesus, to live out the life of Christ because he has given us his righteousness. We sang about it, and that's what we'll talk about here. So let's look um, for, for the believer. We are looking into our, this sojourning that we're in, and we're looking for the end of that and the grace that's gonna be revealed at the end of our sojourning. And that's gonna happen in one of two ways. Either you are going to shed off this corruptible, dying flesh, and you'll be in the presence of God. Or Jesus is gonna come back in victory. The, our sojourning is gonna end one of those two ways and we can be confident, we can set our hope in that. So let's look. The first, oh, sorry, by way of introduction, um, uh, there, what we're gonna look at is the way we're gonna organize it, we're gonna organize it in four different sections. The first one with 13 through 21, it's actually grammatically, it's organized based on three different commands. All right, so and biblically what we talk about here is that these are imperatives, Right, but it's kind of confusing because the word imperative can be used in, in at least two different ways. In the technical sense, when we say an imperative, it means a com it's a it's a grammatical form, right? So the language of the New Testament was written in a in a language that is actually way more complex than English, but it's also kind of more simple because everything is has a specific form, so you know exactly how it's being used. All right, so there is a it's just a grammatical form called an imperative, but we also use imperative in a more a familiar way, like we'll say, it's imperative that you do this, right? And what we mean by that is that it's still a command, but the New Testament has a way of making commands that aren't in that technical form. That might seem confusing, but I promise I'll make it a little more clear as we go along. Because wh what we're looking at in the passage we talked about last week to the passage we're talking to about now is there's, the, there's a word connecting it, right? Therefore. Right, therefore preparing your minds for action. Well, the, when, when we see that, we know that he's connecting what he said before to some sort of application now. 
You see that? He's like, he said that. So in, in 3 through 12, he basically unpacks the gospel, right? You, God is the one who has caused you to be born again to a living hope with this, inter, with this eternal inheritance that God himself is guarding and protecting for you. That's awesome. He's given you a salvation and you're growing up into this salvation and this salvation had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets who kinda knew what they were talking about and they wanted to know more and it was also like the preoccupation of angels to try to figure out what was happening and it was given to us. Amazing, right, that's awesome. We would say that if we're talking about in Bible study terms, that was the indicatives. These are things that are true. This is the nature of reality and the way that scripture often works is they'll say, this is what's true, this is an indicative, and then this is the imperative, this is what we do in light of that. And so let's go into the first one. The first one is gonna be set your hope. So in, in verse 13 it says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so this is, he's, say, he's telling us, how, in what way do we do this? This is fully, completely, set your total and complete hope on, what, on, on the work of God and the work of God in salvation. That, that's huge because it doesn't allow us to be distracted by other things. It doesn't allow for any type of divided allegiances. Jesus tells us, right, you can only serve one master. You can't serve two, just one. And this is fully set your hope. Now, and he uses these two different, um, two different terms to define that. Uh, these, that's where we see the preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Now, this is where there's a translation. It could be a translation issue because some people will say these are actually commands. So you need to prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. And the ESV translated is like the manner in which we do this. So let's look at both of these because the first one is such a really, it's, it's a beautiful word picture. Literally, it says, girding up the loins of your mind, which is really cool, and it's a neat biblical term, but for most of us, it stops there. Cool biblical term, way to gird up your loins. <laughs> so context is helpful here, because most of you know right, that in the New Testament time period, they wore like long flowing robes. I mean, in the desert heat, that's probably a lot cooler, and it's great for walking around and relaxing, but it's not practical, like for working or for battle. And so we see this picture in the Old Testament when they say, gird up your loins, it's talking about, it, they, would, they would take those long robes and they would tie them up at the waist so that they could have mobility, so that they could work and battle. And for me, that's a really cool picture. That means that we need to, and it would probably be better to say in our culture, you need to roll up your sleeves. Roll up the sleeves of your thinking so that you're prepared for work and prepared for battle. This doesn't allow us to have just a lazy, haphazard way of thinking. We need to intentionally set our mind on this hope. Let that be the motivation and the perspective that helps us live out what it means to live in exile during this sojourning because this isn't what we're living for, but it's so easy for us to get distracted by other things, right? He says that we need to prepare our minds, gird up the loins of our mind, and be sober-minded to take things seriously, to not be overwhelmed by any other influence, but to be sober-minded in our approach. This means that we need to have undivided 
affection. And we need to have a laser focus on what God has called us to. I'm reminded of Psalm 119. Look at uh, a couple verses in Psalm 119 says this. Um, In verse nine through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at this wholehearted devotion. This is a mindset that's prepared for action. And then he says this in verse 36 and 37. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. This is what he's talking about. Don't be distracted by worthless things in that you're putting your hope and your value in because they're going to fall away. I mean, he gets to it at the end, right? All flesh is like grass. All this material stuff, it's like grass. Is it, and the, and the flower of the field, are they pretty? Is it nice? Is it productive? Sure, sure. But it's gonna dry up and it's gonna die. And if that's where your hope is, that's where it's gonna dry up and die too. So we need to look forward to this grace and it's a grace that is going to be revealed to us. That's gonna happen. Either you are gonna put off your mortal flesh and you'll be with your creator or he's coming back to get us. Next he moves on. We'll look at the next, the next command is be holy. And we see that in verses 14 through 16. And this again is just packed. It's, it's, it, every word has so much depth to it. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's he's quoting from Leviticus. We actually see that all over in the Old Testament. Be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. And so he's telling us as you are believers, your sons and daughters, right? He says, you are obedient children. Right, he's already told us that he has caused us to be born again. Right, that was in uh, 1.3. Right, God is the one who has caused you to be born again. If God is causing you to be born again, you are his son or his daughter. That's, that's huge. He has made us like himself. And so we need to live like that. And we need to do so as obedient children. This is what obedience is. Obedience to God is pursuing holiness. And look, it's, it's interesting, like he, he already talked about our minds, like we're preparing our minds for action, being sober mind. now he's talking about our emotions, right? He says, don't, don't, be, don't be conformed, right? Don't be formed, don't be molded by the passions of your former ignorance, by those desires of your former ignorance. The things that you used to, deci- that you used to desire shouldn't characterize you anymore. That's past, that's former. And, and later on in the book he says that the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles used to do, right? That's the way it is with us. Those, those desires that we have, those things that are pulling for our affection, that are longing for us to place our value in them, that's former, that's past. That has nothing to do with the one who has called us to be holy. And it's crazy because when we look at this, this is overwhelming. The God of the universe says you need to be holy and you need to be righteous. Can you do that? No, that's, that's staggering. I can't be holy. That's not, we know that, right? So that's, that's like a workspace righteousness. And it would seem that way if in chapter one, verse two, he hadn't said that you have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You have been made holy already. Let that sink in. You have been made holy when God the Father looks at you he sees holiness. 
That is how we live. And so now we have to discipline ourselves. So Paul is saying in Philippians, right? Discipline yourself for the purpose of holiness because that, that and, and he says, he just says, do this in all your conduct, in everything. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we being conformed to? Right, because it seems like this is a positive, and, and this is where another one of those, where I think this is kind of like a sub-command. It's, like, it's the negative. Be holy, and if you're gonna be holy, that means don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, this, this word to be conformed is only used twice in the New Testament. The other is in Romans 12, one and two, right? Don't be like, what is it? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is what we, we need to understand. That's what God has called us to. He's called us to be holy, and that means we need to put away don't be conformed any longer to those, to those old things that used to characterize us. And we're moving on. Moving on, starting in 17, we see the next, uh, the third of these commands. And that means, he says, conduct yourselves, live in fear. He says this in verse 17. He says, and if you call on him as father, like, time out for a second. This is also can be a little confusing in our language because it looks like he's saying, well, if you do this or if you don't, but he's already established that we are children of God, that we have been born again by God. So in reality, what he's saying is not if, but the way that we would use it would be since, right? Do you see that? Since you call on him as father. And then look at how he, he characterizes them. Since you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds in light of the fact that you call God your father, the one who is the judge, who judges according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you, and this is it, this is, this is what we talked about already, we sang about this. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were purchased, you were set free, you were once a slave, and now you've been purchased. And what have you been purchased by? You've been, well, you've been purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I mean, this is, this is awesome. I mean, you think, okay, so he's using the term ransomed, which is the same thing as like redeemed or purchased. And we talk about that something, someone's value, what determines the value of something? It's not like a price tag, but it's what someone is willing to pay for it. You, you see that? The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. I know when I was a kid, um, we collected baseball cards because every kid collects baseball cards, it seemed, or at least at that time, and because if you got the tops ones, you got some gum in it. It's perfect. Um, and then we would look at what's called the Beckett Weekly, and which the Beckett Weekly would tell you the value of all these baseball cards, and man, if I could get a Mickey Mantle rookie year, it was worth thousands of dollars only if someone would actually pay that, right? Remember the, top, the, uh, the Beanie Baby phase? Where everybody's like, we gotta buy all these things up. These are gonna be worth millions of dollars one day. Nope, you can get them at yard sales, right? Somebody, somebody wasted tons of money. If that was you, I'm sorry, keep waiting. It's gonna, it'll get value, just hold on, <laughs> holding on to this. Got this Blockbuster stock, it's gonna be real nice. Uh, Sorry. 
focus. Got I got it. Um, but when we think about this, it says, he's talking about us, that you were purchased and you weren't purchased with something perishable, garbage, like silver or gold, but with something infinitely more valuable. You were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. Man, I don't know about you, but that's humbling. I mean, we, we just celebrated this, that the, the body and blood of Jesus was shed for you. And we need to understand this, because God is a God who judges impartially. That's what the saying says, live in fear. Yeah, we need to live in a reverential awe, but also a fear of his discipline. Because you, your sin, because he says, right, everyone, his, God is the God who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. That means that every one of your sinful deeds has to be paid for. You get that? Are you guilty of it? Yes. If God is just, if he's just, he has to pay for that. And so how is he saying, man, set your hope on this grace? This doesn't seem graceful. He just said that God is gonna judge me for all of my sin. Well, it's because of that that we can set our hope on this grace. Because if you're in Christ, he has already paid for your sin onto Jesus. And when he did that, he purchased your eternity and your eternal salvation. Because silver and gold can't buy that. It's not big enough. It's perishable. It can only buy things that perish. So what we needed is we need to have something that was, Im- look how he, he compares it, right? It's, it's a positive negative, right? Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with something that is, must be imperishable. You see that? With the precious blood of Jesus, that to purchase your eternity, something eternal had to be paid. To, for you to not die, then you had to have the immortal pay for it. And so what we see in the gospel is that Jesus took on mortality, being immortal. He took on mortality and he died. And with that, he took our death and killed it. And then he rose victorious so that we could put on his immortality. That's, talk about perspective. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to not be conformed, right? to those sinful passions, why? Because they've been paid for. And a real practical application to this is we need to think through what are we valuing? And when you choose to intentionally sin against God and to give in to that greed, envy, lust, pride, you name it, you are saying this is more valuable to me than the blood of Jesus. I mean, that's super convicting. That's really convicting. And again, what do we need to do, man? We need to change our mindset, intentionally reorient our thinking to eternal things. Don't be thinking about this 
you, if you live to find your value and your identity in things of the earth, it will die and that's it. But we live, we put our hope in eternity. We've been ransomed from the feudal things inherited from our forefathers, right? It's been passed down to us through the sin nature that's been handed down to us. And, and then he says this about Jesus. And it's a little confusing, so let's look at it for a second. It says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And it says that uh, he was made manifest in the last times. And it's kind of interesting, it says that God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And if you just look at it on the surface, it kind of seems like Jesus is kind of JV, like, well, God the Father knew him before the world and gave him this glory. No, okay, time out. It says he was known by God before the foundation of the earth. So in eternity past, God and Jesus knew each other. And the glory they had, they had that glory there together, but at the incarnation, when Jesus put on this immortality, he had to set aside part of like his glory to accommodate to us, to condescend to be a human being. Because look at what he says in, uh, in John 17. John 17, this is when Jesus is praying, and I think this passage will help us understand what it means like this foreknown and gave glory. John 17, Jesus is praying in the garden before he's crucified, and he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, this is, pay attention, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so what, what he's talking about here is that he's describing what happened when Jesus came down. God knew him beforehand. He was the preexistent creator of the universe and that he was made manifest. He, he came to, to appear to us and set aside his glory, and then he died our death, and then God raised him from the dead and restored him to the place of glory. And that's where he is now, and that is where we're setting our hope. That's what eternity looks like. So our minds and our emotions have to be conformed to the reality of what God has called us to in eternity with him and his grace. And he goes on. But as it is now, right, we still live in this exile, in this body, in this world, in this time. And then he goes on, because now how he's gonna connect it to us, right? Because we've already seen this, that we need to reorient the way that we think in our relationship to God. We need to live in a reverential awe. We need to live in a way that gives him praise and glory. We need to, we need to purify ourselves, and we, need to, uh, and we need to cast off the things of this world pursuing holiness. And now, how does it relate to our relationships with each other? Because our relationship to God as we pursue holiness should manifest itself in our relationships with each other. So he says, and this is the last paragraph at verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So look, he, one, it's interesting uh, this language of purifying usually was reserved for like a temple worship where you would purify yourself, you would clean the outside of your body so you would be ritually clean. But look at what he says. It's not that you've, you're, you've had your, your body purified. What's he say? Your souls. Because you've, your souls have been purified. How did that happen? Again, 
with the righteousness of God. We've been given his holiness. We've been sanctified by the Spirit. Because of that, we need to love one another earnestly. And with this word earnestly, actually, uh, the technical, it, it literally means without hypocrisy. We need to love one another without hypocrisy. One, because we have been made holy, because our souls have been purified. And then he says, because we've been born again. Right, this is the second time he's talking about this. Because we have been born again, not of perishable seed. Now, that, right, and when he's saying perishable seed, he means biologically. He means the way that natural birth takes place. That's a, there's a natural seed, then you're born, we've all been born naturally, but he's saying you've been born not with a natural seed, not with a perishable seed, but with an imperishable. So we have been born again into God's family And so because God is our Father, we are all brothers and sisters, and we need to love one another without hypocrisy as brothers and sisters in Christ. And our relationship with God should change the way that we're loving each other. That's that's super compelling. And it's cool because he's using this, this picture, like this physical seed but we have had an imperishable seed. We've been born again by the word of God. It's, and it lasts into the ages, right? That's what he says. And it's, it's like, so when we think about our family relationships, family relationships are great, right? You need to have good family loyalty. That's what, uh, like I'm teaching my sons about that, that when, if there is a fight, that they're on each other's team, right? You know, and, and my kids will bicker back and forth with each other. I did that. My brother and I didn't, we butted heads like through high school. We were constantly butting heads. But if someone else said something about my brother, wasn't happening. It didn't matter if I had just said the same thing about my brother. I can say that. You can't. And that is a, but that is a relationship our, my brother and I, our biological connection dies when one of us dies. We will no longer be biologically connected, but we will eternally be brothers in Christ. And that is what needs to inform the way that we treat each other. We need to treat each other as our eternal brother and sister and care for them and love them without hypocrisy. And then he says, and then he ties it all back to what he had just, uh, to verse 12 when he was talking about this gospel that, that had been, that angels had longed to look into. He said that all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Literally, this is the word that was gospeled to you. That is what has brought us in to this relationship with God where he has made us holy and called us to be holy. And he's and it brought us into a relationship with each other where we are eternally connected as brothers and sisters who need to love each other. So how do we process this? So we need to think through, like, how are you living, right? Are you waking up every morning and setting your mind, preparing your mind, like to work and to battle, to live for the grace of God. That's what, we're, that's what he calls us to. We need to set our hope on this grace that is going to happen. It's going to come. It's a salvation that he's given to us that we have that we'll see next week that we are growing up into. Set our hope on that because you have been made into a different person. All that old stuff has passed away. You've become new 
And now you need to live like that. And so when we're thinking through our struggles, we all have struggles. But when you are being tempted to sin, stop and say, am I willing to say that this temptation, this sin that I'm being tempted to is more valuable than the precious blood of Jesus that was paid so I wouldn't give in to this temptation? We have to be sober-minded. We've gotta be serious as we think through this, right? This world and everything in it is passing away. It's not big enough to save us. It's not big enough to fulfill the hope that we have. It's just not. It's perishable, it's dying, but what we've been called to is something eternal. And so we need to realize that we've been purchased by his blood so that we need to set our hope on the grace of God, which means we change the way that we think and our passions, our desires, and we align them with his holiness, so we strive for holiness, and then we need to live our lives in light of the fact that God is judging. And in so doing, it should change the way we treat each other, to love one another without hypocrisy, earnestly, from a pure heart. And then we just pray that God will continue to do this work in us, that he will, that he will be the one who's shining the light into the darkness of our hearts, exposing the sin so that we can confess it before him, so that we can then value the blood of Jesus the way that we should, because it has purchased us, all right? I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna move into a time of worship through song. God, we exalt you, we're so thankful for your word. Thank you for making it so clear. Thank you for conveying it to a language, in, in, to us in a language that we can understand. And I pray that for each one of us, for those who are here who are not your children, who have nothing of substance to put their hope in, God, I pray that you will draw them to this sacrifice that was paid for their sins in the, in the, by the blood of Jesus. And for those of us who are your children, I do pray that you will help us to reorient both the way that we think and, the way, and, and our passions and our desires so they align with your holiness so that you are exalted in the way that we live and that our lives preach the gospel. We love you and we praise you. We praise you. Be honored in our worship right now as we worship you through song. In the name of Jesus, amen.